Welcome to the GOSEP Get a Game Plan podcast, hosted by the Louisiana Governor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness, or GOSEP. I'm Mike Steele, the Communications Director for GOSEP. Thank you for joining us. COVID-19, as Governor John Bell Edwards has indicated, some of you may be done with COVID-19, but COVID-19 is not done with Louisiana. The total number of cases in Louisiana in the days leading up to this recording is now more than 60,000. In early March, we discussed the initial coronavirus concerns in the state, and we were still waiting on our first confirmed case. The numbers are staggering, and we must remain vigilant to stop the spread while we wait on the vaccination process. Dr. Joseph Cantor, the lead public health official for the New Orleans region, will provide his insight on the pandemic and the unique challenges we face going forward. Before we get to our interview, we'd like to start each episode with a preparedness message. We have already seen heat advisories issued by the National Weather Service offices that cover Louisiana. The heat is on in just about every region, but you don't need a heat index over 100 to cause a potentially deadly situation. We're talking about leaving children in a hot car. Many of you may think it's impossible to overlook a small child in a car, but when your schedule is packed or your schedule changes and a small child falls asleep while you're driving, it can and does happen. And unfortunately, dozens of children in the U.S. die each year. According to recent reports, 38 kids per year die after being left in a hot car. 88% of those victims are five years old or younger. 54% of the victims were forgotten by their caregiver. Some parents or caregivers do not realize how quickly the temperature climbs inside a car this time of year. Remember the phrase, look before you lock. One important thing you can do is place a phone, purse, or other important item by the child as a reminder they are in the back seat. That is today's preparedness message. Now on to our interview. Dr. Joseph Cantor is the lead public health official for the greater New Orleans area, where he coordinates clinical services, emergency preparedness, infectious disease control, and strategic health initiatives for the region. He earned his Bachelor of Arts degree from Northwestern University in 2005. He went on to earn both a Master of Public Health and an MD degree from Tulane University in 2010. He's been a key figure for the state's efforts to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Doctor, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mike. It's my pleasure to be here. I guess if we could start out by talking about just the numbers that we've seen so far. Earlier uh, in the podcast, we kind of indicated in early March, we will still waiting for that first confirmed case in the state. And now to think about the numbers at the time of this recording, I believe we just climbed over 60,000 cases in Louisiana. Can you kind of give us some perspective on that and, and, and maybe tell us where that uh, shows that we are, you know, as far as this pandemic is concerned? Absolutely. You know, we got our first case uh, in the second week of March, and it feels like it's been 10 years ago. It's, a lot has happened since then. And we as a state have been through quite a lot in that time. Uh, today, as we embark on the second half of 2020, we have over 60,000 cases of COVID-19 in Louisiana, and unfortunately 3,100 of 
our fellow Louisianans have passed. And there is not an end in sight right now. We have a lot of more work to do. And this is actually a very pivotal and tenuous time for us in our struggle with COVID. You know, one of the things uh, we hear kind of on the national level is that this could be a problem that that we see come back in waves like that. Is that kind of the approach uh, that you guys are taking, that, that it's going to be a, a situation where we can't really let our guard down uh, until we get much further along? That's absolutely right. There will be no way to let our guard down until we have either a vaccine and widespread dissemination of that vaccine or herd immunity from some other mechanism. You know, there's been a lot talked about, is this a second wave? We don't think we really ever left the first wave. Um, one of the unique things about the trajectory of this outbreak in Louisiana is the first month was really driven by the greater New Orleans region. And if you take that out, then the case increases look more like what we're seeing in neighboring states, Texas, Florida, and Arizona. Um, obviously, the decrease in the New Orleans area um, after that peak was impressive and, 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 and robust. Um, but because of the volume of those cases, it almost clouded the rest of the state creeping up to where we are now. What is the most difficult thing uh, when you're talking about public messaging uh, right now? Is the biggest concern still the overwhelming the capacity of the hospitals and, and, and factors like that? What are, what are some of the important things that people need to realize? You know, we don't think at this point in time that we're at risk of overwhelming our hospitals in the same manner that we were worried about that uh, back in March. You know, I'll remind listeners that for a couple of weeks in mid to late March, we had the fastest growing outbreak in the history of the world up until that point. We were faster than New York, uh, Wuhan, China, South Korea, Italy. And in the New Orleans area, we had an all hands on deck to expand acute care hospital capacity. We're not in that same boat, so to say, right now. We have good uh, availability in ICUs across the state. Uh, we have good ventilator ability, in part because we re, uh, reinforce those supplies during that first round. That said, this has been a really challenging thing to message to the public for a few reasons. One, it's just such a long ordeal. We're used to these quick emergencies, um, a hurricane evacuation. And you know, aside from Katrina, normally you evacuate, there's, there's little damage or some flooding, but Within a few weeks, things are relatively, um, you know, back to normal or, or close to there. This has been going on now, you know, three odd months, and, and we're looking at likely another few months. And that's hard. It's hard for the public to stay vigilant for that long. A lot of us are getting COVID fatigue, and that's challenging. The other challenging thing is practices or tools that we want to do something might not do that. And what I mean by that is, let's take the example of testing. We have much better availability of testing right now than we did um, on the front end of this a, a couple months ago. Now, folks want there to be a test that will tell them if they were exposed or not to COVID, and that if not, they could go back to their lives and not quarantine. Unfortunately, the test doesn't tell us that. You know, for example, if, if I was exposed today, I might not get enough virus built up in my system 
to be detectable on the test for anywhere from two to 14 days. Mm-hmm. So if I were to test in a couple of days, and if it was negative, I still have to quarantine for 14 days. That's a challenging thing to message. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I heard a, a similar news report, too, that talked about uh, concerns with the delays in testing, that if you get tested today and it maybe takes, you know, several days for those test results to come back and you're positive, what about the people you dealt with in, in that time frame? You know, uh, so there's so many different factors like that to consider, I, I guess, when you're looking at the bigger bigger picture. And that's absolutely right. All across the country, some of these commercial labs are experiencing long delays and, and, and several days at the moment can really mean up to 10 sometimes. That's unacceptable. It's unacceptable as a country that, that we can't get a better rap in this type of um, capacity. But when we counsel folks who get tested after they think they might have had an exposure or after they get informed by a contact tracer that had an exposure, we tell them, listen, you can get tested if you want, but you still have to quarantine for that 14 days, regardless of the result of that test. Something you hit on earlier, too, uh, talking about the New Orleans region, obviously the, the state's uh, you know, biggest population center is the New Orleans region. Is there a silver lining to the fact that we went through so many tough weeks initially with this uh, situation that that we're kind of seeing some benefits, if you if you can say that, uh, right now because of the circumstances? There are some, although I think they're less tangible than than some folks might think. We want to think that enough people in in the New Orleans area have been exposed that there might be some degree of herd immunity. Um, that's not true. There, there, there's actually a study out right now from Oshner that did a prevalence study. They checked antibodies uh, of a representative sample across the New Orleans region. And, you know, it's, it's a couple points below 10%. So that's, that's nowhere near enough to get herd immunity. There are though some other silver linings, if I pain to call it that. I think if you're in New Orleans, you recognize a vigilance on, on safety precautions and particularly masking that probably is not to that level in some other parts of the state. And I think one of the reasons that is, is because folks have a more visceral and personal experience and memory of COVID. They either have dealt with it within their family or they know people who worked in a hospital during those few weeks in uh, late March, early April, and they do not want to ever go back there again. What we've been trying to do is to share those messages with folks throughout the state because we don't want anyone to have to go back. Interesting. So um, obviously we're in midsummer right now, but uh, parents and, and families will be thinking about, you know, the start of school and, and you know, sports in the fall and different things that come up. Uh, what do parents really need to be focused on now and what can they do to help, uh, you know, as far as uh, their school situation and that type of thing? It's going to be difficult. Uh, and I think acknowledging that is, is probably the best step right now. On one hand, we have to get back to some sense of normalcy. We have to uh, find a way to re-engage children with educational experiences, both in and outside of the classroom. That's really important for development. And anybody who has kids right now knows that they're cooped up and, and it's not therapeutic to say the least. On the other hand, school is gonna be a challenging environment there are going to be exposures in the classroom because there's so much spread outside in the community now, it's going to be the norm 
have a teacher report being positive or a couple students, and that's going to necessitate perhaps quarantining a class for two weeks. And I think that's just going to be what the fall school semester is going to be like. Starts and fits, challenging, absenteeism, and we're going to have to find a way to rise above that and still provide a worthwhile experience for our, our kids. I guess this is probably the, the million dollar question right now, but based on your experience and, and what you're hearing maybe out of Washington and, and some of the other areas, are, do you think we're actually getting close on, on vaccines and, and, and other possible solutions to this crisis? Closer than before. Uh, Tony Fauci thinks uh, by the new year, now having a vaccine selected and, and, and kind of made is one thing, having it produced at scale and distributed is a whole another thing. But the federal government's doing something that, that I've never seen them do before. It's very interesting. Instead of waiting around to find out which of the experimental vaccines is going to work and then start producing it at scale, they have essentially pre-ordered and started producing at scale at least three different vaccine strains in the hopes that one of them will work and they already have a jump start on production. It's a heck of a bet that they're making, but I think it's going to buy probably a month or two of time, which, which is important to us. A lot of uh, people in Louisiana struggle with other health issues, which obviously can be a factor when you deal with COVID-19. If people have these other health concerns right now, and as we see you know, maybe uh, a spike in, in cases and everything happening again, uh, what should people do about their other health conditions while we're uh, seeing this this increase? Yeah, folks who either are at increased risk themselves or live with other people, have other members of their household who are at increased risk, either by age or by underlying medical condition, need to exercise an increased level of personal decision-making in this. One of the aspects that gets lost in this is just because a particular industry or business is included in our phase of reopening and allowed to be opening, doesn't mean that it's guaranteed 100% safe. There is some risk in this, and we think people need to make individual decisions based on what their risk profile and the risk profile of their family is. And I'll tell you, if I lived with a grandparent or if my spouse uh, was immunosuppressed, if she was on chemotherapy or had other serious conditions, I would be much more restrictive in my own movements than I am now. Hmm. All right. Any other advice we need to get out to the public? We want to make sure that you know we're we're giving people good practical information. Any other advice you can think of that that maybe we need to share? Sure. You know, I'll, I'll tell folks now that we are you know exactly about halfway through 2020. Uh, if this feels crazy and overwhelming, it's because it, it is in a sense. This is an unprecedented event that none of us have ever lived through something similar before. The, the only things on memory that come close to this would be uh, the, the flu epidemic of 1918 or the yellow fever epidemics in the New Orleans region prior to that. After that, there's nothing on the books that comes close to what we are experiencing. So this will define our generation and uh, we will learn a lot of lessons through this. It is hard going through right now, but we will get through. That's what we do in Louisiana. And in the end, we're going to rely on one another and we'll be stronger because of it on the other side of this. 
Absolutely. So look out for your family members, just like with any other emergency. Look for people that may be struggling and uh, see if you can help them connect with some of the resources out there. Dr. Cantor, thank you so much. This is great uh, insight into what's going on, and, and we appreciate the work you do. My pleasure, Mike, and to all your viewers, all the best, and uh, stay safe. Now it's time for our resource segment. This is something we mentioned before, but as the pandemic plays out, it's important to mention again. If you are feeling overwhelmed by the COVID-19 emergency, support resources are available. This event has impacted many different groups of people. Healthcare workers may be fighting fatigue. Children and families may be impacted by the loss of a loved one. Families and businesses may be facing difficult times due to economic factors. The list goes on and on. Conquer COVID-19 Together will provide survivors with information and strategies to help them cope with certain conditions. All you have to do is text REACH OUT, all caps, to 741741. That's REACH OUT, all caps, to 741741. That's today's resource segment. Thank you for joining us for our Get a Game Plan podcast. Please encourage others to share this resource and subscribe. We want to thank Dr. Joseph Cantor for joining us on this episode. Don't forget to check out the resources we mentioned today. You can find out more information on emergency management and emergency planning at getagameplan.org. We also want to thank producer Troy Perez and Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA, for use of their studio. Sign up to be an organ donor today. Find out more at donatelifela.org. They also have a great podcast titled The Gifted Life Podcast. You can find out more on most of the topics we talked about today by following GOSEP on Facebook and Twitter. Remember, get a game plan. On behalf of the staff at GOSEP, thanks for joining us. We'll have a new episode available next month. This podcast is produced in partnership with LOPA and the Gifted Life Podcast. Find out more about organ, eye, and tissue donation by listening to the Gifted Life podcast at thegiftedlife.org or download it from your favorite podcast app.